Good evening, all my hairy little bipedal hominid fans. Tonight, we are going on an expedition looking for Bigfoot, making the case for Sasquatch, and there's only one person, one person that I trust to do this. Well, I mean, the one person who agreed to do the show tonight, so that makes it a little bit easier. Stay tuned. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to be having Sasquatch discussions, taking your questions, and so much more. We'll do that when we return to the very best in paranormal programming. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is my Paranormal 60. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. Hello, Darklings far and wide. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight as we begin the Legacy Reach for episode 400. Well, I mean, that's 199 away from now, but it starts with this step. Thank you for being here for the 200th, and I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed all of the emails and messages that you've been sending to me, voice messages, email messages, uh, direct messages on social media. It has been very touching, and I've shared it with the rest of the crew. Everybody loves that you love the show and that you're making us a part of your life. So thank you for doing that. It means so much to me. Uh, tonight, let's talk Bigfoot. Why? Because Bigfoot is a hot topic. People love this topic. When we start discussing cryptids, I could talk about just about anything, and there's really only two that come to the top. The two that shine that everybody wants to know more about Bigfoot, he's number one. Mothman, he's number two. Tonight, not so much into the Mothman category, but we are going to discuss Bigfoot. And we're going to find out, does Bigfoot believe in Santa Claus? I don't, I don't know that our guest is going to know the answer to that. But I do want to tell you, the holidays are right around the corner. Like, literally, a few weeks away. And there are many of you out there, and I've met you, that have, that have a young person in your life that you're trying to direct. That you want to help succeed and see that all things are possible. There's a book out that I want you to order right now. Well, I mean, wait till the show's over and then you can order the book. We'll have a link for it in today's program guide, but it comes from our guest. That's right. Just wild enough. Dr. Maria Mayer, primatologist. You could check this book out. If you want to encourage your daughters or sons that they can do anything, this is a fantastic book that you can share with them that will give them insights and excite them into the concepts that they can start setting their goals now. And it is achievable and see the amazing things that our guest has done in a fantastic and fun, informative, colorful book. And it's perfect to go into a stocking or just put underneath the tree or to give at a holiday party however you want to do it. I know two young ladies that are watching this show right now. They're going to get a copy of this book from me. That's right. Sweet Tea and Jenny Monroe. You guys are going to get a copy. Just keep watching for it. That's right. Our own Sweet Tea. Let's get going with the beginning of the program and welcome back to our program, Dr. Maria Mayer. Thank you so much for being here. Hello. I am so honored to hear that I am your 200th episode guest. You're our two. That's right. It would put us over on the, today's 201, but you would Even be better. the next guest over. This means Even we've better. done it 200 other times. That's right. So you've been a part of those other 200 times. Yeah. And here we are launching into like this it. new new realm. So technically you're the first of the, of the next 200. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, oh my gosh, truthfully love this book. And I think all people should get this. If you have somebody in your life and thank you for doing this and being available and making yourself open on books like this, because obviously your other book, which has been extremely well-received and is sold out everywhere that is written for adults and, and people to, uh, kind of learn more about you and your amazing background, uh, from everything from, a professional cheerleader to working with uh, some of the most prestigious organizations in the world and traveling the world to put yourself in these places to uh, research uh, animals and their habitats. 
it's really cool, very exciting. And I wish I would have had these books available for my daughters when they were younger, because I think that would have gotten them off the couch a little bit earlier and maybe <laughs> sneaking through our wooded backyard looking for let, some let, kind let of like little monster. Figure, let me know when you figure that out. <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm about 40 years into being a parent and still don't know what I'm doing. So uh, no, I appreciate I was, you being here. Well, thank you. And and thank you for promoting the book. It's actually something that was really special to me because I do um, share my story a lot, but generally it's, you know, older, more sophisticated audiences. Right. But I love the idea that we're getting, you know, <laughs> capturing them young, right. Little, little yeah. boys, little girls who suddenly maybe see themselves in, in me and want to pursue a, a career in exploration or science. And that means a lot to me. It's fantastic. And it is, it's great that you make it so accessible. I've had the opportunity to be to a couple of the different conferences where you're there. And the one thing I, I love hearing is when people will come over after I've introduced you, you go up and do your spiel. They'll come up and say, Oh my God, she was amazing. That was a great talk. I learned so much in that one hour that we got to share with her. And when are you going to have her on your show next? People absolutely adore you That's because you don't have that pretense of being a science uh, nerd to the sense of it's just you talk over their heads. You really break it down and make it easy for people to enjoy and understand and go along that journey with you. Thank you. No, I think it's super important. And I wish more scientists would take it upon themselves to really care that the science is accessible. Otherwise you're, you're preaching to the choir at scientific conferences or um, you're, you're not kind of making it accessible to people. And isn't that kind of the point because otherwise you're just operating in a vacuum. Agreed. Now, for those of you that have been living in a cave with Sasquatch and are not familiar, <laughs> our guest is part of the TV show Expedition Bigfoot, which you can watch on Discovery Channel, also on Discovery Plus, and now on the Max streaming service. They're out there and available. And what, gosh, what do you guys just wrapped up fourth season? Correct. Season fourth season, correct? I'll take, I'll take over here, Dave. No, I'm just kidding. Please do. <laughs> season four, uh, just. Uh, just aired on, well, finished airing on Discovery Channel, and then it's on streaming network on Discovery Plus. But yeah, this season, uh, we headed off to Alaska, which was pretty incredible. Everything now, is wilder, everything is bigger. It was the first time in my life where I was on a terrain where you feel like a tiny ant on the planet. It's pretty, pretty cool place. Well, now that says a lot because you've been all over this planet and rainforests and jungles and to put you here, but that is that part of it because it is so barren in so much of the area that it just feels like you're almost yeah. on, a, on an alien terrestrial area. So I've worked in the Amazon. I've worked in different parts of Africa, Madagascar, kind of all over. For me, it was the, the, the sheer vastness of the landscape, you know, and those open, like up on a glacier. I mean, it's just white for miles and miles and miles in every which direction. And you feel just, absolutely tiny in that landscape. Is it strange to go from like the Pacific Northwest and some of these amazing sites around the continental, you know, 48 contiguous states here, and then go off somewhere where you're, you're in a much more isolated area where there are all of these rumors of Bigfoot attacks and very aggressive sightings mm -hmm. of this creature? Yeah, so that was, it's one of the interesting things that as I started talking to people in, in Alaska, so many of the stories were so much more aggressive in nature, like their, their reports, uh, you know, people gone missing in the woods, and even the talk of people being lured into the woods. It was a very different, you know, when you look at what, as you mentioned, you know, the the remoteness of, of where we were, um, the animals are all bigger and wilder. In fact, it's the first time in the four years that we've been working together as a team that we actually felt it necessary to have bear guards with us. None of us are ever armed on, on, you know, on the expeditions. Um, and we rely on sort of our experience and with, you know, with animals and, and in different situations where we haven't felt it necessary to carry any weapons. This was the first time where we knew that, you know, these animals don't come across people as often as say working somewhere in, in Washington state, right? Where bears more often than not have 
come across humans walking around. So mm-hmm. there was definitely a difference um, in, in that regards. Is it, I mean, obviously knowing that there are different, um, I don't want to say species because that's not what I'm going for, but there are different uh ways that that animals especially gorillas and a lot of the great apes and monkeys and things will react you know we see videos of cute little chimps rolling around in their diaper and playing in little spider monkeys yeah. and even some gorillas that just in the wild the diapers but sure <laughs> well i mean but we see these videos of people doing it and it gives a lot of false perception to people of just mm-hmm. how strong powerful oh, and absolutely. dangerous they still can I be mean- it, it, I hate when I see those videos because it sends so the wrong message. Um, the truth is, is that yes, you know, uh, chimps are really cute and friendly when they're babies, but then when they hit sexual maturity, all bets are off and they can get extremely aggressive. And, you know, chimps, gorillas, they are unbelievably muscular. I mean, if you've ever stood even at a zoo and looked at a gorilla, they are all muscle. They could tear you apart in, in, without even thinking about it. So absolutely, like those videos are are very um, (laughs) uh, misleading, let's just say. And that goes for the little primates as well. I mean, they might look really small and cute, but they've got nice big canines and they can be very aggressive as well. Is it surprising to you to see that animals that are kept in captivity, like the great apes, the the gorillas, when things have fallen into the pens with them, how maternal or paternal they seem towards that and take care of those people until they can get help and and that doesn't surprise me um you know i've spent a lot of time like for example in congo observing uh western uh lowland gorillas which are the only gorilla that are in captivity so those are the ones that you see in zoos Mm -hmm. and it's remarkable that actually you, you watch the silverback with the young ones and they are very much extremely paternal and teaching them everything and very gentle. Um, and then of course the, the female gorillas, the mothers, they are as well. So these animals are so intelligent. They're highly social that I think that when you see some aggression from them, it's basically because they feel some, some sort of threat when you, you've seen it on, uh, you know, on the news where like a child falls into an enclosure they don't see that little kid as a threat. And yeah, their instincts, sort of the protective instincts seem to kick in, but they are, you know, supremely intelligent. When you look into the eyes of a gorilla, like you know that they're really looking back and studying you as much as you're studying them. I guess what's always impressed me about that is the fact that you would think they know, maybe they don't, maybe some were just born in captivity and have no concept of what it's like out there to know that you're confined to this little area and that there's so much more beyond the confines of those walls, you would think that they would be the more aggressive of, of the creatures because their, their very small territory is being invaded. And this thing landing in their territory probably means more of you things are going to try to come in here. But it, it always astounds me to see the, the, the kindness. And I'm sure there's stories that haven't gone that way that don't make the news as readily. But yeah. it, it is still pretty impressive to think that in captivity, they're even not more docile, but that they're not more aggressive in nature. And it's like you point out now the gorillas that we see present day are zoo born, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's the only sort of landscape and habitat that, that they've ever known. But that doesn't mean like the, the wild in them has been taken out. So the, it's, listen, if you fall in, you better hope that you have a really maternal figure in there that wants to cuddle you before you're rescued. Because I've, I've seen other situations. In fact, I've been involved in other situations where like, you know, one of my tra- uh, trackers um, got his kneecap bitten off. And this was in, this was in the wild. This was a, a gorilla sort of known for being real bitchy. Am I allowed to say that on here? Yeah. <laughs> she, she was very, very moody. Um, and everybody seemed real calm and, and you get, you get a little complacent after you've worked with gorillas for a while, you sort of become one of the group and, and you trust, um, the same way that they trust you. And, and this one waited just a, a, like the right moment to just grab and, and take a big chunk out of, out of his leg. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. And then I've had a Others that's again come up to one of my trackers and rip the shirt right off his body, like in the movies, like 
one one swipe is gone so you do get you know sort of that's the thing the beauty with gorillas is that they all have very distinctive personalities so you might get one that you know is real shy you'll get another one that's kind of funny has a good sense of humor i really like those um and then you have ones that are they're pretty mean i mean they could just be outright mean for the most right. part you have footage strong you have footage that you've shown at, at uh, the conferences I've been yeah. with where you were tracking one and suddenly it had had its fill that day of, of some of the female gorillas, I think yeah. you said, and it postured and you kind of started to back way and it began the charge. Yeah, the, I've been, so I've been charged by gorillas. I really wish I had a count, but like dozens and dozens of times, this charge was different. Like when they, when they bluff charge, you, you know, they're bluffing and you know, you, your adrenaline, like no lie, no matter how many times you get charged by a gorilla, like your adrenaline soars, it's, it's a pretty intense moment, but you also know that that's what they do. They're just reminding you that that's their territory and they, they do it at a sort of a, a comfortable distance. It's all good. Um, this one I knew meant business because of how, well, his posture, everything about him, the look. And in that moment where I realized that he was really going to charge, I started backing, you know, backing up very quickly. And he in like almost in one leap landed exactly where I had been standing. Yikes. Well, that kind of leads me into where I wanted to go with the discussion of Bigfoot is, as you said, there are so many different personalities and traits to these different uh, great apes. Do you find that territorial wise, there is a, a kind of a, a personality uh, or, or an aggressive nature towards these creatures wherever they are? So if you take, let's say a great ape, like gorillas, as an example, um, mountain gorillas are much, let's say much less aggressive. Not to say that Western lowland gorillas are aggressive. They're pretty gentle animals, but the Western lowland gorillas will show a lot more aggression. And that completely has to do with the different habitats that they're in. When you think about mountain gorillas, right? Uh, in, in Rwanda, like Diane Fossey's favorite um, or, or famous site, you know, when you're approaching mountain gorillas, they can see you for miles and miles coming because it's all open. Uh, they have vantage points. You're not as threatening in that sense, because you're not just coming onto them and, and startling them. Whereas in a habitat like the Western lowland gorillas, that is so, so dense where literally you could have a whole family of gorillas just a few feet away from you and not see them because it's just like walls of vegetation. You are much more likely to startle them uh, and, and get a very negative response. The other, the other factor that can't be ignored is that they've been, hunted for you know over a century so they don't like they don't trust people you can't blame them right so they're going to be much more alert and well more aggressive when when they have a human interaction do you think that after startling them they ever go back to their their click of of gorillas and they're like i saw a Did hairless you, gorilla this petite hairless gorilla walking around like we are their bigfoot do you think there's any kind of that or totally. are they well aware of the they human race? Did you get a picture? No, man, it, it's blurry. I got a blurry it's one. Terrifying. No, it's terrifying. <laughs> no, for sure. But it's it's really like the wilder the space. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's two components. One is that an animal's been like had a lot of negative interactions, like say with humans, and they're going to react very aggressively. But the the flip to that is that they've had very little interactions with human, and all of a sudden, like they're scared. It's a threat. I mean, we're not, we're not necessarily tiny creatures. Um, and it's, it's, it provokes like a fear response, which there's two ways it can go, right? F flee or fight. And there's been situations I've been in where I see the, I mean, the gorilla just takes off running. Um, and then there's others where they don't and they just hold their ground. And so I, I suppose you could attribute all of these differences in, in, you know, eyewitness reports about behavior, you could take a look at the habitat or, or sort of the, the human population, the density, all of the, all of these things and see if that correlates. Uh, you know, I, we had a story a number of years ago and it's very cloudy. I'm going to have to dig it out again and see if I can find it. I'll send it to you if I can find the audio version we did of it. Oh. Um, but it was a guy that was 
in a remote cabin um, and he had come out and saw a baby bear and he was like, oh, not going out today because you don't want to get in that way if mama bear's out there. Right, yeah. And he heard just the craziest noises. And I guess he was witness to the uh, baby bear trying to play with a Sasquatch. And the Sasquatch was kind of batting it away when out of nowhere came mama bear. And they just went at it. They uh, This reported Bigfoot <laughs> and this bear are just battling it out, literally tooth and claw, uh, in this moment. You know, that, that that would be an amazing um, show, wouldn't it? Like, you know, there's always like Jaws versus right. you know, dolphins or, you know, whatever. Like they team up. <laughs> this would be a bear versus. Big and the Jets. Yeah. So, I got so did, they, did they say who who won? <laughs> I think I remember. Uh, I think I remember our guy won Bigfoot. I think he uh, it's been a while. I can't remember for sure. I think he hurt the baby. Uh, the, oh, I think wait, wait, wait. it was Bigfoot against a baby bear. Well, it, the baby bear, like you said, was messing with the Bigfoot, and the Bigfoot kept like tossing him away, trying to get him to leave him alone. Right. And but that's when the mom charged. Bear. Yeah, the right. mom charged, right. and I think that's when all hell broke loose. But uh, I mean, so when you hear a story like that, I mean, you it, it sounds almost comical, like Godzilla versus Kong, but it also makes sense, right? I mean, if there are creatures in the woods and they're crossing each other's paths. That's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If 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 you have different species out in the woods that merge over, you know, in in a in a habitat, very rarely are they, you know, what we would say symbiotic, right? Where they're helping each other out and they're just like coexisting. It, it could, especially if you're talking about territorial animals, or in the case of like a mother with with young, you're going to have like negative interactions for sure. Yeah. If you were to cross the path of a Sasquatch, just round the corner, there it is. You, you, you're not bringing weapons most of the time. You're out there just trying to document and, and collect samples. You come across one that seems mm -hmm. to be popping up and looking at you. What is your first action? Take a selfie. <laughs> I, I was expecting so much more from science. Come on. No, well, no that is part of the science. Like documenting is a huge, huge thing, and it seems to be like a real, you know, problem in in, in this area. Realize you're most likely um, just going to have a picture of your own eye as this thing's batting you away no, like a ping pong ball. No, I, I I would definitely make sure to get more more Bigfoot in that shot. But um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's one of those situations where. As a, now, in all seriousness, like as a as a scientist, the, the the most important thing you could do is is observe, right? Like you know everything, and I mean that's one of the things. Like you teach kids, like you go out there, you take a notebook, and you record everything. So in in that situation, you want to record everything. Like try to figure out, like you know size, behavior. Are there other other group members? Like as much information as you could possibly take in. But, do but, you, you need, uh, but you need the picture. Yeah, well, obviously you need the picture. But you know, pluck you know, a hair sample if he doesn't look too mean, I guess. <laughs> but he pretend to you show like you want to give him a hug, and when he comes yeah, in, you right. just tug I mean, a little, tug a little hair. Exactly. You, uh, but see, that's part of why I don't like the outdoors. There's too many crazy rules with animals. Some you have to look big and mean. Some right. you're supposed to be subservient and just hold your yeah. hand out. I'm that's just afraid right. I'm going to cross the wrong Even one. Even within the bears, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You either play dead or you or you act real threatening. You better get that one right. Right. How do you how do you know? In that moment, the Rolodex in my brain is just worried about not dying, not. Well, if I recall correctly, the black bear prefers to be that. That would be the terrifying. Don't to my notebook, right? That's not the time. But the thing, the 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 thing is, um, and I I think that's one of the cooler aspects of this is that there really is no textbook on it. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of conflicting reports and stories and and all of these things, but there's no real scientific textbook on 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 that sort of thing and i think it's what makes it kind of even more exciting and the truth is is even when there is textbook uh nothing trumps like experience and being out in the field and and making what are you know sort of animal observations on on their behavior so you could for example 
read that you're supposed to act submissive and eat leaves and crouch and, and do all these things. But you might be in a situation where you know that is the totally wrong thing to do. So I think a lot of it also just is in situ, <laughs> kind of make following your gut and, and making that decision. I'm pretty sure if you took me out along with your crew, I would be the C-3PO of the entire I thing. Would, I would love to take you out with the crew, Dave. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I'll, I'll take you out there. Uh, craziness. <laughs> we, we have to take just a very quick break. We'll come back. We've got more to discuss. We'll do that right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However... There are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. Betterhelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Hey, folks, if you're a Sasquatch lover like I am, go check out the Paranormal 60 Swag Shop.com. You can check out all of our cool Bigfoot swag. We've got notebooks, we've got wrapping paper, we've got t shirts. There are amazing, fun designs, lots of cool items to choose from. Go check out Paranormal 60 Swag Shop right now. Hey, with the holidays upon us, this is a perfect time to get the gift, that last-minute gift you want to stick in the stocking or underneath the tree or bring to a friend at work, at home, neighbors, whatever. Maybe just stick it in their mailbox next door so that they get the surprise of a lifetime. Just Wild Enough by Dr. Maria Mayer is available, and we have a link for it on today's program guide. This is a great book for children and a great way to introduce them to seeing outside of the box they currently live in, giving them the inspiration and hopefully the idea to want to be more and do more and see more. So check it out, get a copy of the book for yourself, and then share it with your favorite child. All right, we are back. Uh, let's get into the season was exciting. Going to Alaska, you guys had come off of last season having found dens and you know different sightline dens and hair and and having sent things in and getting some really interesting um findings back that's an interesting point to jump off from yeah. as you head to Alaska but is it is it frustrating as a researcher to be like okay we just found this maybe we should just focus here for another year it's yeah, and that that is true of any expedition, no matter what you're what you're doing. What I think is important to keep in mind is that when an expedition ends in the field, that's sort of when the science begins in, in a sense, because now you have all of these samples and all of these different things that require a lot more more study and requires time. So there there does come a point where you and this happened to me time and time again where you have to leave the field and the, and that component, but that doesn't mean like the research stops. It, it really is sort of another beginning point to that research. Um, to answer your question, there's been numerous uh, locations or at least two favorite of mine where I would love to return. Cause I think that the, the findings were intriguing and very intriguing. 
uh, and worthy of like further investigation in those areas. Problem is, is that we also have to follow kind of follow the, the findings and also follow timing of different things. Like when food sources are available, when recent sightings are happening, just different things that may not tie back to that place that we were, some places just sort of dry up and there's a, you know, maybe that animals are moving away, the food resources are drying up, all of these different things. So then an area that feels like a hot spot suddenly mm -hmm. goes cold. And so it's time to go anyway, even though at one point it really felt like you just wanted to stay there and, and dig in further. Now, going to Alaska, having this kind of new terrain to investigate, hearing these stories of a more aggressive, uh, possibly more violent Bigfoot, um, what trepidations did you have going into this and what, what things excited you most about the new explorations? Uh, for one thing, it was the first time that I'd spent time in Alaska, and I was really um, just really excited about getting into a place where animals are known to be wilder and bigger, and certainly the the habitat could support, you know, such large animals and, and bigger populations. So that to me was like the real drive. The other thing is, is that what led us there was was sort of interesting. I mean, this very rare wolf species that only occurs in, in one part of Alaska, we had such a sort of a target zone to launch the investigation. You don't often have that. I mean, there's a lot of times where you show up to a place and you have you kind of have to figure out like what feels like the right place to start and, and let it unfold. We knew exactly where we had to go and so it was great to see then based on what we were seeing and finding and, 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 and talking to people like where it led us. There are so many different claims of people that have gone missing, sometimes large groups of people, you know, three, four, five people in a group that just, there's never any sight of them again, but they happen to be in an area that people have witnessed uh, or believe they've witnessed a Bigfoot creature. I want people to also get a full understanding. I know you're about the science. I, it, there's a lot of danger in Alaska and there's a lot of places that have nothing to do with why you would vanish. That has to do with Bigfoot, right? I mean, most of the, most of the time when you're on an expedition, you're the, the least to worry about is like the wildlife. It's more the, the terrain, the, the weather, you know, hypothermia, overheating, um and just injuries and because on an expedition you are so intently focused on on something and you're so really fatigued and tired from you know day in and day out trekking trekking lack of sleep all of this stuff it really does make it like super conducive to injuring yourself and that's like the the biggest danger that i see i actually um, helped write a, a book for National Geographic on um, a survival handbook. And it's one of the things that I, I really talk about, like, A, staying calm in, in, in different scenarios, whether it's, you know, wildlife or if you have been injured or anything like that, because you can't make good decisions if, if you're not thinking straight. Um, and that's like a big danger while you're out there, because a lot of times people make sort of irrational, not, not good decisions in those moments. And it costs them their life. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is just injuries. And we had a lot of them in Alaska. In fact, um, I know when we were in Kentucky, our cameraman Zach suffered a, a pretty bad knee injury. Um, but that was about the only real injury that we'd had in, in these four years. Uh, in Alaska, we had uh, a cameraman who fractured several ribs um, and had to be, uh, taken um, out, uh, medically evacuated. Um, there were a few more injuries. And then I had actually um, uh, a double, like two ligaments on in, in my ankle um, that I tore uh, towards the very end of, of the expedition. And that was brutal. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot to contend with when you're out there. And a lot of that honestly does have to do with how just physically tired you are of trekking day in and day out. And then yes, you've got the bears and the wolves and all the other stuff, which right, all the fun is stuff. danger too. Where do you sit now, this part of your journey, four seasons in, coming in as somebody who has an interest in looking at the science of these situations? Uh, do you find yourself further along on the belief path that 
something like a Bigfoot does exist, or are you still pretty far from that that point? Um, so I never use the word um, belief when mm. when I'm talking about Bigfoot because that I save that for like religious stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking for tangible, irrefutable evidence that's going to really move that scientific needle. Um, I came into this with an open mind. I feel like having an open mind is incredibly important in science period and having curiosity and wonder. I mean, that's like at the heart of science. Right. Um, but I have to tell you the, the, the one that, that all remains true. The one thing that has changed mm -hmm. is that when, if you look back at our first expedition, uh, I definitely was quicker to dismiss, you know, the high strangeness of it all. Like, because it just, you know, there was no scientific explanation for it. I didn't really understand why there was this connection that people kept reporting with, with Bigfoot sightings. Um, and what I have noticed is that over the years, I'm seeing a lot of these patterns. And once now you start looking at patterns, it does make a big difference. Um, you, you, you know, as a scientist, you, you then pay more attention because now it's a pattern. What, you know, why, if it happens once, if it happens twice, ch you know, chance, but what is the probability that it keeps happening over and over and over? And so now I don't dismiss that stuff as quickly. I don't call it evidence because it it's, it's not, but it does seem to lend itself to piecing this very mysterious puzzle together. There's interesting footage that pops up throughout the year of strange phenomena that mm -hmm. seems to be related. I've seen a lot this year myself. The one that intrigued me most, uh, probably you're aware of, is the footage from um, Colorado where the being came walking along and then seemed to crouch. And it was so eloquently uh, built and made that it actually just kind of blended into the background. You mean the, that, the train sighting? Yeah. So it that so that footage right was it was kind of exciting to to watch all that unfold mm -hmm. um but if you pay really close attention to it there's a lot of things that for me stood out as like non animalistic and and just sort of red flags mm -hmm. uh and then a little while ago uh, a few weeks ago the people who claimed to be responsible for that uh, actually admitted to putting on a costume and making it a fun day for the for the people passengers and the train coming by. So that well, I've heard that vacillate back and forth even since it began that that somebody was claiming to it and then they were like, no, there's no proof that they did that. There right. nobody can provide a costume. None of this is taking place. And then the belief was that they're saying that so that people don't start infringing on that area right. and upsetting it, Bigfoot. And so who knows. Um, but just so then just based on the footage alone, to me, it was um, it was more hoax human than than an, than a than an animal or hominid or anything like that. Um, but I think arguing about it. <laughs> the, well, the, the takeaway for me that I thought was most impressive is how we can easily dismiss. Oh, there's no way that we wouldn't be coming across these. And even if it's somebody, a human in a costume walking through there, you sh you saw as a perfect example how easy it is for something that's that knows it's running to camouflage itself. And, and it that, literally just kind of bent down I, and looked yeah. like a bush. And that I would not argue because I've seen that repeatedly in nature where even like a very massive animal can completely blend into its environment and uh, and and you wouldn't you'd miss it. Yeah, and if, if people are still having problems with that, just follow me in any nightclub. I vanish. <laughs> Nobody seems to notice me. I just stand there looking wild-eyed and crazy, and then people just walk right past me. It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's my take on it. I could be wrong. Um, all right. Are we, do you think, 5, 15, 25 years out from one way or another proving or disproving the existence of this creature i mean that's like the really exciting part about science is you don't know like i i've been out in the field um in areas where 
I felt like it was a, a, there was a very strong possibility of making scientific discoveries, and we have. And then I've been in areas where I wasn't even really looking for a new species because I didn't know there was a new species there to be looked for, right? Mm -hmm. And then discovered a new species. So with science, I, I hugely believe in in muddy boots for for this kind of stuff, right? Like you have to be out there, you have to be out in the field, and you have to be searching. Um, and it could really happen at any time. And that's really, to me, the the allure and and the cool factor is it, it could potentially be five years from now, 10 years from now, or it could be next month, tomorrow. I mean, you just have to be out there and it has to be that, that right place at the right time. But if you're not out there, it's never going to happen. And that's why I keep going out there. There are so many people in the woods carrying weapons, shooting deer, shooting elk, shooting bear, mm -hmm. shooting whatever, that to me, the improbability of not having killed one and been able to carve off an arm or a foot or even a hand yeah. just to bring it back seems so unbelievable to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're killing animals with our cars left and right. You know, th these things jumping out in front of people's cars, nobody, it, that's the aspect of that to me, that's still so hard to believe they exist. And they, they very well could just be incredibly smart and just know better than to mess by the roads and especially at specific times of day or night. Um, so that could be why it's there and they're well aware of people in their area. Um, I've, I've also heard that um, the, the common theory for a while was that they post centuries hmm. so that there's, there's a, a, a collection of them and then there are, are guards, if you will. And as they see the people coming, they'll just continually back up. So you're never, even if you're in the thick right. of their den, you'd never know it because they're continually moving away from you until you retreat and then they'll come back to their area. Um, do other animals show that behavior, especially in the primate category? Yeah. I mean, similarly chimps for example will organize themselves in where different animals have different roles and if you look at the examples of uh where where they hunt right mm -hmm. you have like the the drivers that drive the prey in one direction then you have the the ambushers and you have the actual ones that do the kills i mean so they all have these roles to play in these groups um and in it, depending on you know depending on the like the social group size of these animals obviously there's safety in numbers and you see that a lot with these like we're talking more like herd animals but where you do have that right like sort of the ones at the outskirts of the group keep the entire group safe by 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 pushing them further and further away from any sort of danger around so you do see examples of that you know, and we've heard the the many different variations of the whoops, the calls, the the what they call the samurai chatter. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, so much of it is. Uh, I'm not an outdoors guy, but sometimes people will play. You got to hear this, Dave. You got to hear this Bigfoot. Right. I'm like, yeah, I do. Let me hear it. And I'm listening. It's all. And I'm like, I'm no zoologist but that kind of sounds like a coyote or a wolf no right. no it's, it's, <laughs> it's mimicking the wolf and i'm like it's what it's it's so it's pretending to be a wolf to throw me off yeah that, well how do you know that well it's not the right octave for a while how do you know the wolf hasn't been smoking and drinking whiskey for years and he's just got a lower seriously i mean that to me is so and and there are so many of the big footers yeah. and watchers out there that they will stand by that, that this is what mm -hmm. it is, that it completely breaks from reality, my opportunity and, and desire yeah. to want to know more about their research. But when we've heard some of these, are there noises that have been cataloged that do not match known creatures that, that do exist? So my understanding is that there is a, call it a library of these vocalizations um, that have been identified. I mean, sort of using this the same equipment as the Cornell lab, right? Which is famous for, for, for being able to, to identify all of these different sounds. And they have a, quite a massive library um, that say that there are some of these sounds that are incon inconclusive, right? So that none, nothing that they know of 
out in that area would make that sound. And then, of course, you do have examples in nature of animals that mimic other animals. So also not too crazy an idea. Um, even parrots can like really mimic, um, you know, their their owners or, or somebody else. But like actual birds that to a T can mimic other birds to, you know, um, distract a, a predator or, or that sort of confuse them. So it's it's that to me is like it's slightly more unlikely i know that vocalizations play a really big part in um in primate research and we use it quite a lot like we'll you know we'll we'll make a sound and and then we get a call back and and that sort of thing i'm i'm pretty familiar with the sounds of the animals that are in the forest of the areas that we work in and i have to say that there was one particular sound in alaska that I never want to ever hear again, that I could not attribute to any known animal um, in that we didn't have a, let's call it a high quality enough recording of it that we could like really get down to the nitty gritty and analyze it. But it was different. It was definitely, it, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And I think a lot of people do make, do make that claim. And I think that there are many, many instances where, um, they're not right. Like it was a wolf or it was a coyote or it was, mm -hmm. you know, it, like there's a real explanation for it that we know about in nature and can identify. Uh, but my thinking is, well, you only need one of those to be right for it to be a reason to keep on the, the pursuit of, of trying to find what's out there. Do you know, uh, Dr. Mayer, has it ever been uh, tested where you take some of these, and I use the term loosely, known Bigfoot sounds mm -hmm. to animals? Like if we, oh, this was recorded in the Pacific Northwest, what right. if I take it and I play it for bears that are in captivity that are from the Pacific Northwest? If I play it for, were, uh, for werewolves? Like what reaction oh, would you get? Yeah, do they, do they get a reaction? That's a great question, Dave. I don't know yeah. that anybody's um, ever done that. And I have to be honest, like I, I'm a little... Um, on the fence when I get given a recording and say, oh, I, you know, this is a Bigfoot vocalization from this area, play it and you'll get a response. I don't know, like I wasn't there. I didn't record it. I don't know the source. Things are very easily also like, you know, fake nowadays. So I don't have, I don't put a whole lot of trust in, in that. I mean, I'm, I'm open to it, but it, it's not really something that, I, go ahead. Uh, that's, but that's, and I understand that, but there's a lot of these things that we can say photographs, video, we mm -hmm. can fake so much of this now, yeah. but where's the starting point? It seems like one of the easiest would be to see what animals from that region would respond to that noise. Not trying to call another Bigfoot by playing that, but how other animals react. Do Does a, a bear that's known to be very dominant in that area hear the, right. woo, 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 and that bear just and drop just and go to a cave? Does, you know, it, does it pique its curiosity or does it not even register to these animals? Um, that to me is kind of an interesting. I don't know that anybody's moment. ever, I mean, like, I'm not aware. I'm not saying it hasn't been done. I'm just saying mm -hmm. I'm not aware of it. But that's, that would be an interesting way to test some of these. All right, let's do it. You and me, let's right. go hang out at the zoo. I mean, the, I was going to say. I'll bring like, the boom box and I'll start saying anything, like, all the different animals. We'll, <laughs> we'll go to the zoo first and then we'll go out into the woods. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll start in the zoo. Okay. We'll start baby steps. Zoo. Baby steps. Uh, I have to take one more quick break. We'll come back. We've got a little bit more to discuss when we return right here on the Paranormal 60. <laughs> Innovation, creation, vitality, and joy are the pulse of MySoulTopia.com with many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoulTopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm, which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoulTopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoulTopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry with prices to fit every budget. MySoulTopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers. 
expertly curated and award-winning book collections from top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. My Soultopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoulTopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, MySoulTopia.com. That's MySoulTopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? MySoulTopia.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-O-U-L. T-O-P-I-A dot com. Fourth season of Expedition Bigfoot is available, as all the preceding seasons are on Discovery Plus and the Max streaming service. You can watch a show on Discovery. Please go check the series out. And again, folks, I implore you, if you have a favorite show and you want to watch that show and you want it to continue to be successful, this is what you need to do. When the show's released, watch it in the first 24 to 48 hours of release. That is a crucial time. If you wait and binge them all at the end, yay for you. Say goodbye to your favorite shows. What the TV audience has to show is that they're engaged immediately when these shows are released. So if you're like me and you love to binge when all the shows are done, turn on Expedition Bigfoot, go out and mow the lawn, shovel the driveway, go wrap some holiday presents, then come back, turn it off once it's aired. That way it counts. You're not cheating the system because you are going to go back and watch it, but it at least counts for now. And not just with Expedition Bigfoot, but any of the shows that you love. It is crucial that you watch them within the first 24 to 48 hours. I'm now off my soapbox. Let's get back into the discussion here. Um, again, this is, uh, I, I love having the opportunity to kind of talk and, and work our way through this. And, you know, I've spoken about Bigfoot for years and, and, I, I believe I saw a Bigfoot when I was a child, so I'm still very oh, open to the this. concept. You think you uh, saw a Bigfoot when you were a child? Yeah, yeah, and I, my audience is probably bored sick of me mentioning it, but yeah, I was about 12 years old in Foley, Alabama, and my cousin and I were fishing in my grandfather's pond when we heard something big coming through the woods, just <laughs> walking through the woods, and at the back of the pond, this hairy hand reached up over the top of the bush and pushed it down, and we could see from the tip of the nose up this dark inset face with this, I called it the Barry Gibb hair. It had this kind of blackish gray, big pompadour. And it just kind of looked at us. My cousin and I, it takes that minute when your brain sees something you're not expecting to see, you just can't process it. And then finally we looked at each other and ran up to the house. I never put two and two that it was a Bigfoot together until years later, uh, or possibly a Bigfoot. My my dad, my uncle, my grandfather, my cousins all grabbed their rifles and went out there in case somebody was screwing around on the property that sure. didn't belong there. And nobody went out to look where it stood to see if there were footprints. Um, so there was, you know, missed opportunities. I can't, I can honestly say I've been to zoos, I've been outdoors. I've never seen anything remotely like what it was I saw, but it didn't speak to me. It didn't telepathically send me a message for a peanut butter sandwich. It didn't warn me away. I, my cousin and I just saw it and that, you know, froze and then ran like Scooby-Doo up the hill to get away from it. So, you know, again, I was 10, 12 years old. So it was like 10 years ago and I could have faulty memory. Why is that so funny, Dr. Mayor? Well, I was it's, thinking more like 15 years ago, but uh, go on Dave. Okay. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but it was so many years ago, I even questioned that memory of what exactly did I see and how did I experience it? So it's tough for me to, to go into that, but it's it's kept that fire and passion alive in me. And having had a chance to talk to Bob Gimlin and, mm -hmm. and hear some of the other uh, remarkable stories from people that I know, like, and trust, who I believe have had real encounters with something, whether they're misidentifying it and it is a bear with mange mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, I believe that they are having some kind Absolutely. of. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that for me is like the most compelling is when I get store, uh, you know, whether it's emails or messages or, or whatever, but it's people who, you know, retired military 
police officers, psychologists, teachers, people who, who say, I haven't shared this with my wife of even, you know, 30 years, right? During our 30 year marriage, I haven't had the guts to tell her about this experience. And they start opening up to you about what they experienced. And you could really feel still like that visceral response from them as if it was happening in that moment. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know what they saw, right? There's no way for me to know what they saw, but I know that they believe they saw what they're saying they saw. So I don't, it, it, and, and Jane Goodall, I don't know if you saw, I, I interviewed and I've had a lot yes. of, I, I, we, we filmed an interview with her, but I've had many, many conversations with her about this. And she is the same. She, she has so many uh, native American friends who she loves and trusts um, really honest people who she's like, you know, they wouldn't lie. They, you know, nobody knows exactly what they saw, but they're not lying. So right. there's, there's something really interesting to me about that. The, the dog man uh, phenomena that's also being cited around the United States and I guess probably different parts of the world as well. Uh, have you put any uh, research or time into examining those stories or, or case files? So there, yeah, I'm going to do a new show called Expedition Dogman. It's, um, no, I'm just kidding. Sign me up. I'm in. I'll go. I'm going to wear one of those big bubble suits, but I'll it's go. A, it's a pretty good title, right? Like, yeah. Who um, saw that coming? No, but I've had a lot, you know, I've had people come to me and say, have, this is, this is the experience I've had. And that is not an area that I have. I mean, even how I got into Bigfoot, I wasn't pursuing this, right? I was just I scrolling was through Tinder and you saw him. I know. That's <laughs> right. Swipe, swipe. Oh, wait. Um, this one looks interesting, but the picture is blurry. I can't tell. I like woodland creatures and uh, long walks off short piers. But no, I was brought onto the team, not because I had any, you know, Bigfoot research experience because I really didn't. And in fact, I must have turned it down 50 times over because of that. I just thought this is not what I do. I don't really know about. And it was because they wanted to ground um, the expedition in, in science and have somebody there who's, well, who's made a scientific discovery and knows how to process the evidence and the findings and, you know, DNA and all of these different things. Um, and, and, having the field experience is super, super important. You do need to be very knowledgeable about these surroundings and, you know, the, the food resources and behavior, all of these things. So it weirdly made perfect sense because I had spent um, like two decades in search of incredibly rare uh, primates. A lot of them had never been studied before. Some of them had never even been photographed. And so when I started applying the techniques that I used on those expeditions with Bigfoot, it was funny because a lot of the Bigfoot researchers were already employing those techniques. So there is a really nice overlap that way. And then trying to bring, you know, some more of that into the Bigfoot community and into that world, um, having all this access to technology that, you know, it, it, it's almost like unheard of mm -hmm. and it gives you such an edge, especially when you have a limited of amount of time and, and a vast amount of space, right? You can more, more sort of more eyes, you cover more ground, all of that. Um, but it's not something that I was actively researching. So I have not looked into Dogman <laughs> much other than I've heard some of the stories, but I'll tell you, I'll make you a deal, Dave. Um, when I find Bigfoot, I will then jump into <laughs> into the dogman scene. <laughs> one cryptid at a time. Is, man. I'm man. a one cryptid type of girl. You know Are what I mean? You? I stick to Bigfoot now. Yeah. And if that if I have a good payoff moment there, then I'm gonna pursue dogman. How's that? All right. I see how you are fickle. Once you find the oh, one yeah. you've been going for, then you're done and move on to the next. That's nice to know. Good. You know. Good. You heard you heard it here first, except you didn't. <laughs> I will be uh, I will be happy to join you out in one of that's these expeditions. Uh, no, I would love to go out to a place that's that's known, but I'd rather go with somebody like you, and uh, you know somebody that knows what they're doing out in the field 
and can tell me. So when I hear the whooping or the screams, you can say, Dave, that's just a, uh, that's just a dormouse. That's their normal. Dave, I think we should take this show into the woods and we do a live broadcast, me and you out in the woods at night, analyzing these sounds and looking for Bigfoot. I'm all, can we start well, in the woods well, right behind my house? It's only <laughs> about a quarter of an acre, but it's mine. And, uh, I feel safe starting off. It's baby okay. steps. It's the way it's got to go. And then that way, if I get scared, uh, I can run back in. We can make s'mores. We can make a night I'll out of it anyway. It, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no reason I've got to be uncomfortable, Crypto Hunting, right? <laughs> um, no, this is awesome. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for taking this seriously because there are people that really love this field and are fascinated by it. And they love the fact that there is a show that is out there and I'm not saying the other shows haven't shown passion and love, but I, I do not feel that any show has been as well represented as your show Thank expedition you. Bigfoot in really, you can show the fun side. You can show some of the interesting elements of it, but that you are all yeah. legitimately trying to seek an answer. I, and in all seriousness, that was one of the things that I, I really liked is to really lend scientific voice to this topic because people shouldn't be ridiculed for reporting on things that we are, you know, it may be out there, right? So we're just hindering the scientific process by, by um, ostracizing them and not making them feel welcome to, to share these stories. But I'm going to let you into one last tiny secret. And that is, you know, some of the scientific community mm -hmm. got, was like outraged that I would participate in a Bigfoot expedition. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's just. Why? Because they weren't asked? Because the highbrow nature of the game, let's face it, right? A lot of scientists, like they, they, if it doesn't fit into a, a box and can be explained readily, it's dismissed, right? But I want to tell you about all the other scientists who did reach out to me privately, right? DM uh, to say, I am so glad you're taking this on because I really think that Bigfoot is out there or they've had an experience or they know that somebody in their family who they love and trust has had an experience. So it's, I think it's really important that scientists really do start getting involved. Listen, mm -hmm. whether you're, you prove it one way or the other, whatever it is, but get involved, right? Like have a, right. have a place in the game. And again, what's so funny to me is the dismissive nature of science on so many things. When at one point people didn't believe in the gorilla, people Correct. thought it was a myth. And, and that's not that like within the last 200 was, years. It was less than 200 years ago that we no. were able to suddenly identify, Oh, look, there's, there's a Western lowland gorilla, right? Mm -hmm. Which which is sort of crazy to think about because that's also a very big animal um, that just had not been identified. And yeah. I remember 20 years ago shaving my head and being bald with a goatee and everybody said, you look like Charles Manson. What's wrong with you? And now everybody does it. So see, it's breaking boundaries. It's going through the glass roof and finding something else. I just You're keep a risk taker, Dave. I, I like am. it. Yeah, yeah. You, you were ahead of your time. <laughs> In my own little way. Hey, make sure to get a copy of the book, Just Wild Enough. And uh, we've got a link for it on tonight's program guide. Again, get this book. If you love the children in your life, then you should get this book. If you don't, shame on you. Shame on you. Pick up this book and share it with them because we should be sharing excellent role models with our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, and beyond so that they can see there is an amazing world out there to be discovered. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Mayor. And I hope that we uh, get a chance yeah. to go out and investigate sometime soon. Oh, uh, we're gonna. All Thank right. You, Dave. I will hold you to it. And folks, go check out the swag shop, paranormal60swagshop.com. Find all the coolest Bigfoot merchandise that we have to offer. It's all available now. And I think if you order now, you'll still get it in plenty of time for the holidays. So go check that out. I want to thank our guest. I also want to say, you know, it's an amazing world full of new discoveries. For those of you that have a hard time believing in the, the concept of these cryptids, remember that every year we are discovering new insects, new, new monkeys, new, new everything. There are different things out there every day that are being seen, photographed, reported, and found. So we are just really kind of still in the genesis point of understanding the world around us. 
and we can't be so quick to dismiss things that just don't fit our paradigm. I hope that the information that we share here is enlightening and makes you feel like the dark is just a little bit more light, that you too can go on this journey of an education and enlightenment and enjoy yourself as we learn about these crazy things that are all around the world, cited by every walk of life, every religious belief, financial situation, sexuality, doesn't matter who you are. If you stay awake and you stay open, you can see the magic that surrounds us. So I hope for you this year that you get to see some of that magic. And it begins tonight, right here on the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. Everybody, I'm here. It's me, Bigfoot. We're... Oh, no. I missed it again. Doggone it. 